Um, here's what I do want to say around that issue of being generous is that we uh, deeply desire here to be a people around this time of year who uh, begin to look outward, not inward. So um, uh, Christmas season, right, can just become, become so self-absorbing uh, that we can just get lost in the true meaning and, and why we're here. And so we try to look at ways to uh, bend outward in mission. So um, here's just a couple that, that we're working on that we're, we're doing. One is, you know, the uh, Operation Christmas Child boxes are due today. So if you forgot it, um, just send us an email. We'll find a way. Or you can drop them off, I think, at the, the nearest location drop off. We'll get you the information uh, for that if you forgot it today. Um, but also, you know, the Walter Hoving Home, that's a women's uh, basically addiction care facility. They are seeing amazing work of the gospel of Jesus Christ, redeeming uh, women from all sorts of addiction, prostitution, um, and just life-controlling habits. And so uh, we want to put together 55, uh, basically, Christmas bags for them. Uh, we're going to be collecting items over the next couple of weeks. Um, the the sign-up sheet is out on the information uh, desk, so please look at what you can bring. To, and then we're going to actually need help in actually putting those together on December 10th. We'll get more details out for you uh, in that. And then also, many of you know Pastor Wilson, one of our missionaries that we uh, support faithfully. Um, he is in Haiti, working in remote areas um, where there is voodoo and witchcraft and places that are dark and he is doing a profound work of advancing the kingdom of God and um, we always look for ways to specifically bless uh, those missionaries that we support. Um, His truck broke a number of months ago, the axle in it, and that's massive for him big truck that gets him to and from remote areas through a lot of places that are hard to travel, taking supplies and such. Um, We're working on hopefully gifting him a truck for Christmas. Uh, So, yeah, so that's amen. Yeah, you can be excited about that. That's that's a nice gift to open uh, at Christmas time. So we're working on that, pray for that, but we'd love to just bless the heck out of him. We're just trying to get prices. We're talking with him aggressively to find out the best avenue and way to do that. Um, but we just want to be a generous people. So um, we'll, we'll let you know of more things uh, coming down the pike, but uh, just keep those things on your mind. Um, Lastly, just want to just briefly mention, um, if, if you've been coming, in, coming to this church for, for any length of time, you know when we uh, built out this place, we built it out for what we thought would last uh, the next 10 years. Uh, God uniquely worked in ways that we really didn't expect. So um, we realized that just space-wise there have been some challenges that were in the last couple of months especially as God's just been working and, and growing us in depth and with and so just know that, that would you pray for us as we are uh, exhausting options and talking and having conversations about uh, just what's the best foot forward, what's the best way to uh, minister and steward the people that God lays in our lap. I do want you to know that people have even uh, come and had to turn around and leave because they haven't had a parking spot. So uh, we're, we're at a place where we just want to be faithful. Uh, we don't want to be uh, mindless about just the ways that God would want us to be wise. Uh, and letting him do whatever he, he, it is he wants to do. So we said since day one, four years ago, we planted the church with 18 of us. We said, God, do what you want. Um, we don't want, I, I didn't have a desire to pastor a big church, small church, medium church. I just want to pastor a healthy one. Uh, so let's just ask that God would help us be healthy, that the word would do its work. We don't have to defend the truth. We believe the word and the truth of what God has said is what builds the church and sustains it. So uh, we're excited to see that. So would you just pray alongside the elders uh, in that way uh, as we continue to walk and grow and lead and put our foot forward in front of the other uh, that God would do what he wants to do. So um, here's where we are, Acts chapter 1. If you have a Bible this morning, Acts chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles around the back walls. I'm thrilled you guys are taking those. This is our gift to you if you need 
lead one. Um, Acts chapter one is where we're gonna be. We're gonna finish our series on identity. And what this is, is if you're dropping in today, we've been studying what are the things that mark us. So I can't encourage you enough. If you're curious about what these other ones are, you'll see gospel, word, discipleship. We've covered those. Um, Go back and listen to those. Those are available online. But um, we're now in the mission aspect. And last week we talked about how we are a mission-driven people. And we talked specifically in regards to evangelism and the ways that we thoughtfully engage the life and mind of the people around us. Um, And uh, we spent at length just discussing how I want to see that as beautiful good news for people who do not know the God that we know, do not love the God that we love, do not serve the God that we serve, that that they would know the saving benefits that are found in Jesus Christ. Um, This morning I want to end with um, just the reality of being a mission-driven church, okay? Um, Not just a mission-driven people individually in our spheres of influence, but being a mission-driven church. So um, this morning, listen, this is not going to be like a normal sermon uh, in the sense of just kind of me uh, taking a text, walking through it uh, verse by verse and word by word. This is more going to be some stats, some scripture. I'm going to move kind of quickly, but here's what I just want us to get at the end of the day. I want us prayerfully and Lord willingly to sit gladly affirming something, okay? And that's this, that God has providentially and primarily ordained the local church to be the means by which he accomplishes his edict in Matthew 28, his great commission, okay? So that's all I want. If we leave just knowing that, praise God, that's a win, okay? That, that God in his wisdom, when, when Jesus gets up in Matthew 28, we discussed that at length last week, right? He tells us to go make disciples, not just go make converts, but make learners. Let's teach them to observe all that he has commanded, right? We don't just want people to make decisions want them to become disciples who grow and mature in the likeness of Jesus. So um, we believe that Jesus tells us and the the Bible will show us that the church is the way, the primary way that's actually going to be fulfilled. And what's great is it's his plan A. Okay, so he wasn't sitting around in eternity past going, not quite sure how I'm going to figure this out when Genesis 3 happened. Okay, he goes, no, I'm going to send my son. My son's going to inaugurate the church. Ultimately, it's going to reverberate to the ends of the earth. Okay, so this was God's plan from the beginning as he has always decided to save a people for himself, for his glory. Uh, so here, Acts chapter 1, here's what you see. Jesus is talking to the apostles, lays out for them how he plans on accomplishing his great commission that he just gave in Matthew 28. And here's what Luke writes. And while staying with them, that's Jesus, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? I love it. Such a puny question. Right? Jesus is about to give them the reason he's going to actually advance his kingdom, and they're so limited in their view. They're going, oh, cool, okay, is this when the kingdom of Israel is going to be established? And Jesus is about to be like, no, 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 this kingdom's so much bigger than your puny idea. This thing is going to ripple and reverberate to the ends of the earth. That's what the kingdom of Christ does. Right, Habakkuk says, so the glory of God will fill the whole globe like the waters cover the sea. So look at what he says. He says this, is it not for, it's not for you to know the times or seasons the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Okay, here's what Jesus just did for us, and here's what Jesus just did for the apostles. He said, hey, I'm giving you the roadmap to how my great commission is going to be fulfilled. 
Okay, I just said go into all nations, making disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I've commanded you. I'm with you to the very end of the age. Okay, now here's how it's going to be done. Here, first, you're going to need power outside of you. Now, for some of us, right, we hear Holy Spirit, we get all weird, right? Father, Son, Holy Bible. Like, he's just not a part of the aggressive work of the Trinitarian God, yet God says you're going to need something outside of you to even accomplish this task. He's going to be the the guider of the church, the director of the church, the controller of the church. He says, then you're going to need a a purpose, right? You're going to be witnesses, Like, like your life and mind will speak to those around you about the goodness of God, that you treasure Jesus, that was a lot of last week. And then he says, and in that purpose, there is a clear plan. There's a method to my mission. And you're going to start here in Jerusalem. And you're going to boldly be witnesses with the power given from the Holy Spirit of God. And then it's going to, in some strange way, compel you to Judea. And then, ultimately, it's going to then compel you to Samaria. Now, notice, Samaria, right? That's interesting. Those were Samaritans, half-breeds. There was hostility between them, the Jewish people. So this is reconciliation of peoples and ethnicities already in the mandate God gives for the church to advance. So socioeconomic status, ethnicity, all of that is being broken down from Acts chapter 1, that this gospel, as it permeates each place of influence and expands, is going to break down every wall of hostility not just with your neighbor you don't like, but one who looks differently than you. Racially. Ethnically. Country. Right? It's going to just begin to divide and break down the hostility that resides in the human heart. Amazing. And then he says, eventually to the very ends of the earth. Powerful edict from Jesus, if it can be called his edict part two. Right? You have Matthew 28, then you have Acts chapter 1. And he's showing that this is what is going to happen. And you're going to be witnesses through our work, through our words. Look, look at a similar text. This always helps, right? Just have this all come clear. Luke 24. Uh, Luke wrote a two-volume work. He wrote Acts and he wrote Luke. Uh, the Gospel of Luke, the Acts of the Apostles. So he wrote those two. And he gives almost the same thing that he says in Acts chapter 1-8 just in a different way. He's reporting this. It's overlapping in his writing. He says, repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in my name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. So he just says the same thing, right? In the Gospel according to Luke and the, the Acts of the Apostles, Luke records this thing that Jesus says, right? In the, in the similar sense, he basically says the same thing here. Stay in the city, don't leave till you receive power, and you'll be witnesses who preach repentance for forgiveness of sins. So Jesus is making clear that he not only has a mission but a method. It's to all nations, all peoples, all tribes, all tongues, and it's only going to happen through his message, his people, with his ways, And his power, like it's all going to be him. Okay, so in case you're worried or fearful about this, don't be because this thing cannot lose. This thing will advance and will accomplish all that it said. We are a part of the only sure organization that exists under heaven. Okay, your company might fail, your family might fail, other things might fail. But listen, the church of Jesus Christ will never fail. It's always going to press forward all the way into glory. That's why Jesus says in Matthew 16, even hell itself, the gates of hell, the fire of hell, the demands of hell, the adversity of hell will not prevail ever against the unstoppable, immovable, always moving forward church of Jesus Christ. Praise God that we're a part of that. Right, that we get to actually be a part of this church that's always advancing. And so this is what Jesus gives us in Acts chapter 1. Now, um, here's the crazy thing. As he says all of this, what happens to the rest of Acts? 
Do they get together and start all their clubs and like private organizations? No, man, they start an ever-expanding church-planting movement. Right? You have Acts chapter 2, right? Peter gets up. Nice first service. 3,000 people repent and come to know Jesus. That's kind of nice, right? First church, mega church. People are being, being grown in the gospel. You, you have leadership by Acts 6. You have uh, the gospel save a terrorist in Acts 9. A guy named Saul changes his name to Paul. He goes on and bursts forth the greatest missionary church planting movement that is the reason we're sitting in our seats today. All as an act and response to Jesus' edict in Acts chapter 1. So I want to just stop and ask a question. Um, why is the continued establishment of local churches necessary? Like if we believe the church as a church, if we believe that the establishment of more churches is the way that God is going to advance his kingdom, not just getting them bigger, even though we pray that God fills the rooms and grows the people in depth and in width, we pray God does that, but, but not just relying on what we have and what God has done, but praying ever more aggressively that we would see more and give to more and steward more and befriend more. Why is that even something that is necessary today? And, and there's a lot of common responses. Give you three. Maybe you've, you've thought this. I don't know. Uh, we already have, number one, we already have plenty of churches, lots of rooms, so fill those before we go establishing new ones. Uh, that's, a, that's a common thought that we have. And I'm going to say a lot of these rest on wrong assumptions. Uh, number two, uh, a lot of churches are shrinking, not growing, and that is true. Um, so a new church will only take people away from the hurting churches and weaken everybody. That's another common response when they hear the idea of, of let's pray that God would birth new churches. Uh, number three, help churches that are struggling first. We need better churches, not more. Um, in one sense, yes, we need to always grow in health, um, but we do need more. Um, so these all seem understandable, but they all really rest on wrong assumptions, because the more you begin to study, not just historically, not just biblically, not just theologically, but the more you begin even just to study as people we've seen in history, the, the church of Jesus Christ, even in America, strictly speaking, you'll see that's actually not the case. These things do not help us. Just a few observations. Number one, I don't know if you were aware of these things. Currently, there's almost 200 million non-church people in America making America one of the top four largest unchurched nations in the world. Uh, people call us the Christian nation. Well, no, every Christian's an unchristian nation, okay? Because the, the gospel's foreign to every nation, okay? And every, every people, every tribe, but, but we're working at advancing the reconciliation work of Jesus Christ right through us as his people. So um, number one, that, that's, that's a staggering thought. Number two, um, every year more churches close than are birthed. An average of 4,000 churches have to close their doors and only 1,500 are started. That's not a good statistic, now, I will argue, and people will argue since they've reported this, this was four years ago, that there has been a surge of healthy churches being established, but the statistic is still the same. Number three, nearly 60% fewer churches per 10,000 people than in 1920. It's decline. Number four, of the approximate 350,000 churches just in America, four out of five are either totally plateaued or declining. And look, we realize that it's up to God to grow and to work, but if you're a Christian who has the Holy Spirit, it bothers you that the church of Jesus Christ has only plateaued or declining. Now listen, this does not mean Jesus isn't accomplishing what he said he would, but it means that he's given us brains 
to react and respond in wise ways as he empowers us through his Holy Spirit to do everything within our limitations to see this gospel advance. Number five, one denomination recently found that 80% of its converts came to Christ in a church less than two years old. This is true across the board. New churches just... I love it. One, because I told you last week, right, new Christians are so awesome and so dangerous. But like new churches just love mission, love evangelism. And then as we get older, as we mature in our faith, it's like we kind of lose that, right? Oh, now I know theology now, so I don't need to bend outward anymore. Now I'm filling my own tank, don't need to fill others. It's such a weird thing that plagues us as evangelicals. Like the longer we grow from infancy to toddler to adult, we actually wane in our love for Jesus and his mission. May that never be said of us. So the weight of praying, giving, sending to see more churches established is essential. So why should Church of Bergen be driven by this? Why should this be something that, that marks us as a people, that we deeply desire to see more churches birthed? And I don't mean just people sent from here. I mean us giving generously and stewarding and praying for this. Um, I'm going to give just a few. Number one, uh, the Great Commission. The Great Commission. Um, I would argue that Jesus' essential call in Matthew 28 was to see local churches birthed, to accomplish his great commission. Because if you notice, we talked about this, he doesn't say just go make converts. He says you got to baptize them and then teach them to learn all that I have commanded you. So listen, most decisions, most conversions are not really true when they're outside the local church with no one left to walk alongside them. I'm not saying that people aren't coming to Christ through amazing ways, but I'm saying the primary way that Jesus seems to say you will be sure of your saving faith, you will be sure of the things that Jesus taught you is you being in a worshiping community, a covenant community of faith where you are baptized and you are actually walking alongside them, teaching them how to observe all that Christ has commanded you. That's why you can't grow as a disciple, as an alien, isolated from the local church. You can't do it. Like, it's an oxymoron to say, hey, man, I love Jesus, hate the church. That's just weird. That makes sense. Don't say that. If, if you love Jesus, you love his bride because you are his bride. And you're saying you hate yourself? The very thing that you have been grafted into? We need to be careful of the language we use. Usually it's a cop-out so we can just justify sin, just keep walking in unholiness. I don't really want to get settled there because there's spaces in me and I want people to see. Well, that's what the church is for. <laughs> so that we can help you be freed and remembering that Christ forgives you and that he wants to walk with you and he wants to keep conforming you more to his image, that he loves you enough not to leave you the way you are. And so a family of faith is necessary to really fulfill and evangelize the nations. Number two, um, this was the best missionary in history's strategy, Paul. Um, the, I mean, this was Paul's strategy. He only had one, by the way. <laughs> Plant churches. <laughs> like, start churches. Train up men who do that, and then go visit them and encourage them. If you read his letters, almost every letter he wrote was to a church he planted himself or helped plant through the assistance of somebody else. Paul believed in this. He tells Titus, go appoint elders in every town that you went to and started churches in. You see it all throughout the New Testament. So one strategy he had was find a large city, preach the gospel, plant a church. Eventually, when it was sustained, he'd move on to another place. You see it over and over and over. Uh, number three, it cultivates a, the necessity of kingdom-mindedness. Um, we are in a culture and society that just is consumed with ourselves. Our kingdom, our sheep, our church, who's mine, <laughs> playing chess, 
right? And this is, this is a necessary exercise for us to go, man, we're about the kingdom of Christ, right? We're thrilled that other churches thrive and flourish. We're thrilled to give generously to other churches and to church planting. We're thrilled to see God raise up men and women to advance the kingdom of God through his church, not just here, but across the globe. We love to pray for that. We love to celebrate that. It also, I think, rips us away from even the idolatry of the local church for itself. Right? I mean, sometimes we can be so for our church, and that's great. We want to love our church. We want to love who God has called us to and who God has you know, brought us with and bought us with through his shed blood. But man, we also want to be about emotionally, mentally, prayerfully, generously among others who are striving to do the same in the body of Jesus Christ. We are for our brothers and sisters. Number four, uh, we gotta remember the purposes of God are not done. Now, I, this, is, this is huge, I think. Um, I talk to so many people where there's a temptation to think, well, God's kinda like accomplished what he wanted to do. I mean, it's so bad, it's so evil, it's so heinous, he's just gonna return soon. Evangelization is coming to its cusp. And this is to remind us that he is not done. We might question why. Why, God, have you not come? I mean, we're all crying, come, Lord Jesus, right? I mean, we're all saying that as, as we're seeing evil and wickedness and praying about just all the things that are happening across this globe. But listen, um, he said in Acts chapter 1, verse 7, hey, it's not for you to know the times or seasons, which the Father's fixed by his own authority. So you just be faithful. You just aggressively push forward and trust that I'm going to finish it when I finish it. Matthew 24 says the gospel will be preached to every single nation and then the end will come. So Christ hasn't returned. You know what that means? There's still more people that need to hear because he said it will go to every nation before he returns. I mean, this is a necessary mindset to remember for ourselves that Christ is not finished at all in his saving work, which is why we aggressively pray for and give towards and establish to see the local church advance and move forward. The great danger I think we face in America is the illusion that the purposes of God have been, have been complete, that the world's evangelized. <laughs> Pastor Wilson's got Haiti. He doesn't have Haiti, he has a portion of Haiti that our brothers and sisters serving in our Acts 29 network across the globe. They've got Turkey, they've got Russia, they've got China, they've got Australia. We met somebody this summer who was the third guy in Japan and Tokyo to even plant an evangelical uh, Protestant church going, okay, well, he's, he's somehow got it. People in unreached people groups, people in emerging regions in the Middle East, we should pray that God would see more of that. Listen, nothing else, no outreach program, parachurch ministry, growing megachurch, congregational consulting will have the consistent impact of dynamic, extensive church planting. The church is being established. The church being prayed for. The church advancing. The church growing. That's because that's what Jesus said. It's not because we think we're cute. And we have some good formula or method. It's because Jesus himself said it. So where can we look for some inspiration? I love just how the church in Philippi was birthed. We taught through Philippians a year ago. Just look at Acts 16 quick because you're going to see. I want us to, to be invigorated and encouraged and energized by seeing what God did and what this might mean for us. Okay, So um, Acts 16, uh, what you have leading up to this, Acts 11, the church in Jerusalem, right? the first church that's established, right, uh, sends out a church plant to Antioch. That church sends out Paul in Acts 13 as a church planting missionary. And then you have Acts 16, which is a part of Paul's missionary process where he goes across the Adriatic and he is 
uh, kind of docks his boat at Troas and heads into northern Greece and Macedonia. And he arrives. There are no Christians, no churches, nothing. So he decides to go to a prayer meeting by a river. Okay, because that was a Jewish custom, right? That they would actually go by there and pray in the mornings on the Sabbath day. And so he goes, and here is what happens in verse 13. On the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the woman who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized in her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you've judged me to be faithful, Lord, come to my house and stay. Here's the core team of Philippi, a wealthy businesswoman and her family. Now, so far, you're like, yeah, I'd pick them for my core team, right? Wealthy, generous, can give, tithe. But there's more people that, that Jesus wants to be a part of this church. And it's not everybody you'd expect. Verse 16. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. So Paul and Silas, they run into now a fortune-telling slave girl. She's enslaved because she's being forced to make money for these other people who are oppressing her by using her Wiccan talents to accumulate wealth for them. So she keeps hollering. These men are servants of the Most High God, who proclaimed you the way of salvation. Amazing, right? Always the demonic know the way of salvation. They all know it. They know more than you theologically. Yet they do not have saving faith. They do not believe. They do not submit as Lord. Look at what he says. This she kept doing for many days. That's annoying, right? Just That person just pesters you over and over and over, over the fence. Hey, Jesus freak, just keep saying it over and over and over. Paul, having become greatly annoyed. Don't you love his humanity? He's just annoyed. Who wouldn't be, right? person keeps pastoring. He's greatly annoyed. Turned and said to the spirit. I love it. I just wish, don't you wish you could hear the way he says some of these things? Like the posture, the demeanor. He was annoyed, so he turns. You just wonder how he said it. And praise God that God worked through his annoyance. He turned and said, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her, and it came out that very hour. But with, when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, right, they realized, oh, we can't make money anymore because this guy, Paul and Silas, just delivered her from this demonic activity, which is what was making us money. He says to them, and, and after they realized that, they seized Paul and Silas, dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. So now in the core team, you have a businesswoman in her family who's really wealthy and a previously demonized, fortune-telling slave girl. Diversity. <laughs> God's for diversity. He does it with the most unlikely. No one's outside the saving grace of God. So now they're thrown in prison, but God knows what he's doing. There's still one more guy he wants to add to this church plant. The jailer. Don't you love that? Going about his duties? Has no idea what's about to wreak havoc Earthquake's about to come. Verse 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns. They're praying and singing hymns amidst persecution, amidst difficulty. When was the last time you did that? A long time ago. And the prisoners were listening to them, and suddenly there was a great earthquake. 
So the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened. Everyone's bonds were unfastened. The jailer woke. Not a good idea, sleeping on the job, especially when there's an earthquake. He wakes up by this earthquake, saw the prison doors open, drew his sword, was about to kill himself, because if you let prisoners go, they could hang you, behead you, or do things worse to you. So he goes, I might as well just kill myself now, because I know what's coming. He goes, he's about to kill himself, supposing prisoners had escaped. Paul cries out with a loud voice, don't harm yourself, for we We are all here. And the jailer called for lights, rushed in, trembling with fear, fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sir, what must I do to be saved? Praise God. Don't you love the low-hanging fruit that just come up to you and say, Man, tell me about Jesus. Tell me how I can be saved and rescued from wrath and judgment. There are people like that. That God puts us, it's a softball over the plate. All we have to do is swing. And God does this for them, and they said, believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him. They shared the scripture. They shared the gospel. And to all who were in his house, and he took them that same hour of the night, washed their wounds. He was baptized at once, him and all his family. So here is the core team in Philippi, a wealthy businesswoman and her whole family, a previously demonized fortune-telling slave girl, and the jailer, a city employee. Amazing. Now, as you look at this, you'll find out later, Paul and Silas eventually go free uh, because they find out he's a Roman citizen. They begin meeting in Lydia's home, uh, great space. She saw that she had means to meet the ends, and why is this inspiring? Why is this encouraging? Why do we look at the scriptures to see the birthing of a new church, to think about ours four years ago, to think about the, the hundreds of thousands of more churches that Jesus Christ wants to establish for his own name and renown, is I think that, number one, God did it and did it with such diverse people. God did it. If you just read through, the Lord opened Lydia's heart. The Lord caused the earthquake. Right? Jesus, the name of Jesus removed the demon from the girl. Like, like, God did it. Like, like, you know what the method is? God, okay? So, so the, the church is going to grow. The church is going to be built through God's power, God's message, God's plan, God's authority, right? Not what, we're, what we do, not what we think is cute, not trying to mix and change things and be more relevant, adjust this and dampen truth and, you know, change the way we speak and share, even though some of those things are necessary and appropriate. We want to be a people that are simply about the truth, who Augustine says truth is like a lion, let it loose, it does its own work. You don't need to help it, right? So we just believe let's stand on it, let's share it winsomely, aggressively, humbly, teachably, meekly, lovingly, but let's do it in such a way as a people so that more churches might be formed for the glory of God. And here, as you look at this amazing, amazing picture here, it's God who does all of this. Now, Here's the thing, the same power, the same word, the same message that did this amazing work in Philippi is the same word and spirit that we have today. Like nothing's changed. Like like God, the method of this has not changed. God infuses his people with his spirit, gives them his very words of revelation through the incarnate son, Jesus Christ, so that we can go confidently, remember last two weeks ago, with the authority of Jesus, I'm with you always. All authority's been given to me. You don't have to worry about all these things you say. The spirit in you is not one of fear and timidity, but self-control and power and courage. So let's go in advance. Let's go against the gates of hell that will break down. They will not stand up. They cannot thwart the 
the plans of God. This is so encouraging for us to see as the people of God as we go wherever we go and as we see churches established. I mean, this is amazing that God would do this here and that we would have the same word and spirit present for us. Whether you joined this church a week ago or a year ago or three and a half years ago, understand that you are a part of the most important organization that will not fail. And we want to see more. We want to see more for the glory of God. That's why we're so thankful for how gracious so many of you, many of you have been. We're building the plane in the air a little bit. Uh, we don't know what God's going to do. We don't know how he's going to act and move. Um, but we just share the good news. And we love one another. And we do our best to build up the saints and equip each other for good works. So that others might see him and glorify God in heaven. That's our hope. So what about us? I'm just curious, just personal question. Are you satisfied with the witness of Christ in New Jersey, in the Northeast, in the world? Are you satisfied with the number of churches that exist? Or might we pray for more? The local church is how the gospel will get forward. God may call some of you to leave this place and start a church or be a part of a team. God may call some of you to give outside of your primary giving here to other church planting works. Um, we as a church are going to continue to aggressively give towards the local church. But all while in that, we might even just start by praying that God would raise up men and women for this. Um, the elders pray this regularly. And can I just encourage you with something in the middle of all that? Let me remind you what we cling to. <laughs> We make our plans and God establishes our steps. I mean, listen, we have made plans. We thought some things would be earlier. God's redirected. But man, we just say, God, would you bring the right men and women? Would you grow up a, a burdened in people to be sent? Would you also give us wisdom to see those places where we can give generously and assist people who are doing gospel ministry? Um, this is not only that we would necessarily plant churches, even though that's a deep desire of ours, and we don't have the, ro- we don't have the timeline for that. Like, listen, our, it, other people's method is great. You know, we're going to plant X amount next number of years. We just say, God, make the people readily available. Help us discern who they are. Let's train them up and send them when you want them to go. Not prematurely and not too late. And we've thought at times we had that, and God redirected in his grace. And so we continue to trust him for what that looks like, but we also... Give generously towards this. This is why almost every dollar we give as a church is tied to the local church and church planting. This is why we give to Pastor Wilson in Haiti. He's planted seven churches in remote areas and trains church planters once a year. This is why we supported Restoration City in Philly, the largest, fifth largest city, which has a rapidly growing Islam population. Um, This is why we give to the Acts 29 Network, which is a global network we're a part of, which is one of the largest, most global, diverse networks of churches planting churches. They now have over 655 churches in over 35 countries in 28 languages. We're we're a part of something so much bigger than us. Man, we're puny. We're like an 800th of the pie of what God is doing in the world. We're having conversations with some here who are sensing the call of God possibly to, to be a part of starting a new church. Praise God. Some of you guys might be called to go with them. But listen, we're not a people that will always be just content with us. 
Right? We want to see the gospel move forward. You know, um, when the elders were at the global uh, gathering for Acts 29 in uh, the summer, um, each morning we had a, a, a corporate prayer time together. It was such a sweet time. Um, but what they did one of the mornings as we got together was they, they had all of us meet eventually. We started praying specific things for specific things with other pastors. And in my particular group I got with, I had a brother from Tokyo, Japan, uh, Australia, uh, I think in Newcastle, in Dubai, and in the U.K., And I'm sitting there listening. And what you're supposed to do is you're supposed to ask each other, what's one prominent idol and one prayer request? Amazing. You get to know these demographics. You get to know these places where people are doing gospel ministry. And as I'm sitting there, it's just unbelievable the encouragement that floods your heart to hear what God is doing among people. That Yes, we're here in New Jersey in Paramus, but God is at work advancing his kingdom through his church in remote places, in places of deep need, through faithful men and women. That is incredible. So what I wanted to do just real quick is, is show you a, a, a brief video of, of a number of, because I just want you to be encouraged at what God's doing. Um, brothers and sisters, in our network, and it's not about the network, it's about Jesus advancing his church in all these different places for the glory of his name. So I just want you to be encouraged by this. I want to give a closing thought, and then we'll pray. We drill deep into our neighborhoods with the transforming power of the gospel. We reach wide with the gospel so that the whole world can hear. I came into Acts 29 in the very early days a uh, gospel-centered, culturally diverse network began to explode throughout North America and then just creep around the edge of the globe. A compelling vision for me is local, national, international, Acts 1-8. So for me, I wanted to plant a church that was a pipeline, not a puddle. And most people in Turkey, they would think that they cannot grow up and say that, you know what, I decide to be Buddhist. I decide to be atheist, I decide to be a Christian. People are now living in the same streets with one another, but often still in the way that they live out their lives, they're still very much segregated. Our slogan is on the block for the city, showing off the glory of Christ. The church is rapidly going in India, but at the same time the church also faces persecution because of the growth by the radical Hindus. Each person in our city, each one of those 18 million people represent the Imago Dei. They're people that God loves. They're people that God has sent us to. Cualquier domingo que venga vas a encontrar personas de Venezuela, de Colombia, de la República Dominicana, de México. When different ethnicities, uh, different cultures, different socioeconomic classes gather together to worship the same God, it's one of the most powerful demonstrations of the gospel. C'est important de ne pas juste rester dans notre petite église entre nous confortablement, mais on est appelé à aller au-delà. Acts 29 is a diverse global family of church planting churches, drilling deeper, reaching wider, planting churches. We have worked in the bairro da Boa Fé with approximately 80 crianças. No entanto, há muitas mais. They're coming to refuge and they see hope. So our vision has always been to have a gospel-centered movement in Lagos that actually significantly touches the culture. When I was researching into planting in Leicester, I realized actually 
north of the city is a massively, I mean, it's a, it's a gospel wasteland. I've noticed a deep, a deep need in many of our societies for a church that's, uh, that's relevant, for a church that's fresh. One of my passions is to spend basically a generation of life, the rest of my life, planting other churches that plant churches in the gallery. I'm here for 50 years. I'm here for longer if God spares me. My desire is to see churches planted all over Merseyside and specifically all over the world. Uh, in, in terms of making relationships with unbelievers, people here, it's a very secular culture. They tend to be very reticent to come to church. Our vision is to reach the professional business community and university students in the city of Bangalore. Um, and they are an unreached people group. Now, Joburg is a city of immigrants, so that you can get Malawians and Zimbabweans um, and Botswanans and Namibians and, and Swazis um, and Kenyans um, gathered together, filled with the gospel. The reason it's important that churches plant churches is that for um, thousands of years, this is what God has done to extend the kingdom of God, um, to magnify the fame and name of Christ to the ends of the earth, is to plant churches, to plant churches, to plant churches. We really wanted to see um, God's glory explode as we would invade the darkness with the gospel. Right? We've got to keep church planting until every person has access to the gospel of grace, and that way everybody can come to know the knowledge of the glory of God. I'm humbled to be a part of it. I am excited to see uh, what God is going to do in and through us as we become more diverse and reach globally around the world. Amen. Yep. Yes, let me, let, me just, let me tie all this up with uh, Acts 1.8. We're going to look at that text one last time, and I want you to see the end of it uh, to give some, some, uh, some meat to this. Acts 1.8, Jesus said, the text that we read, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth. Um, here's what I want us to get as we're sitting in our seats. Is when Jesus said these words to the ends of the earth, he was talking about us. Like, let that sink in. Like, when these apostles, when these people were hearing the mandate from Jesus, and he says, you're going to go to the ends of the earth, that this ever-expanding movement of my glory and gospel that is going to permeate places and every tribe, tongue, nation, it will eventually land itself in Paramus, New Jersey, November 19th, 2017, so that you are sitting here hearing the good news of what Jesus has said. 2,000 years ago. Like what I love is some of you who have come to faith in this church didn't even realize that it was the local church, the church that God said would eventually move about to the ends of the earth that would bring you to saving faith. Yes, preaching its gospel, but some of you didn't realize that Matthew 28 literally is being realized right before your very eyes. <laughs> By you gathering with the saints. I mean, it's unbelievable that when Jesus said these words, he knew in all of his foreknowledge and ordaining power and authority that on November 19th, 2017, in Paramus, New Jersey, off Highway 17, each one of us would be gathering today to be witnesses with his power to the ends of the earth of all that God can do in saving sinners. It's amazing that, that we're evidence of that in every single church that exists that is centered on Jesus and has his Holy Spirit 
and is covered by the blood of his son has this. It's profound to consider and to think about that you and I are not here by wishful thinking. Like you're not sitting in the seat by happenstance. This is God's plan. This is God's design. And, and that, that we wouldn't just be a cruise ship but a battleship, right? So it's not about just entertaining inwardly but deploying missionaries outward. That's our hope. That's our prayer. That's our longing. Um, some of you guys, as you came in, you, you were taught by every other belief system, right, how you're saved by the fruits of your works, whether it's through prayers, petitions, appeasements, generosity, chance, that you were saved by the fruit of somebody else, Jesus Christ, right, in his life, in his death, in his resurrection, and that made you new, and it added you to his family, his universal family and his local family. Some of you guys are sitting here this morning and you don't believe that Jesus is God, you don't believe that he's saving, you don't believe that he's good, and we believe that God is stronger than you. And we believe that his Holy Spirit is more glorious than your feelings and your presuppositions, and we're more for your joy than you are because we know the one thing that can accomplish that, that God himself, the creator of all things, is more for your joy than you are. And you're finding it consistently outside of him. You're finding it consistently in everything else that you glory in, that you make ultimate in your life. And he's saying, no, once you rest your soul in the work of my son, can you be truly free? And it doesn't have to be big addictions and habits. It can be just the, the simplicity, yet the, the, the simple yet horrific sin of not giving God the great praise that he really deserves. And so the enemy would love to dissuade you blind you, he would love to distract you. We believe that God has done this and established us so that you might know that truth, that you could become one of his kids today. So although, listen, family, there will be future goodbyes, there will be, there will be changes, there will be implementation, there will be, as God continues to grow and work here, listen, we just hit toddler. So a lot of grace, right, is infused in this place. But as we do it, it's all to continue to remember that we never tighten our grip around what we perceive to be ours, but always remembering it's all his. So let's pray together for help with that. Let's pray that God would advance his church together. Let's pray right now that God would use the local church, local assembly, that we'd be driven by this reality, that God would raise up men and women, that God would send from here and send from other churches, that we would continue to look how to be generous towards the work of the church among the nations. God, we just ask you to help us to be a people that are driven by this reality. The edict to make disciples and the discipleship formally and finally happening through the local assembly. God, we pray for those who have never heard. We pray for brothers and sisters, even in New Jersey, who have never heard, who do not know the true gospel of Jesus Christ, that Christ alone saves you, that the work of himself in paying for our debt that we could not pay, in dying as our substitute in our place for our sin, in absorbing the full weight and wrath of God towards our belittlement of your name, that you say in your infinite justice and love, satisfied because of Christ, forgiven because of Christ. God, I pray some would hear that and repent of sin and turn to you as Savior and Lord 
that God, you continue to save, that you would continue to make new, that you would continue to shape us as however you want to shape us. God, help us to, to live lives with open hands, not just in our families and spheres of influence, but even as a church, as a people. Help us never to too tightly grip ourselves around this place thinking this is ours. We want to see it the way we want to see it and function the way we want it to function. Would you just do that? Would you help us to follow you as our senior pastor? And God, we pray that you would continue to empower Pastor Wilson, our faithful brother, and Gladys, his wife, in the ministry in Haiti. Would you continue, Lord, to move in the pastors and families, Lord, that are shepherding the flock of God among them in all over the nations? God, would you use your great gospel to break down the wall of hostility? God, would we continue to see ethnicity here among us, God? We thank you that you're answering that prayer of ours from four years ago when we started this church, that we would see a church that looked like heaven. God, would you continue to cultivate this place to be a people that does not look the same, but God is one in Jesus with his one spirit. And Father, as we observe this supper, we be encouraged and nourished that you saved us to something so much bigger than ourselves. You saved us to what you call your body, your church, your family. God, might that encourage us in a unique way today. That God, us sitting here worshiping you, giving thanks and praise is because you are fulfilling your word to yourself in Acts 1. Encourage us in Jesus' name, amen.